Okay, so <clears throat> my name's Chris, and um, I just, uh, I'm, 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 we're almost, we've got two more weeks after this in our series in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. And um, over these weeks, we've been looking specifically at how Jesus went about making disciples and making followers of Jesus. And one of the things we've seen very regularly over this series is that discipleship is always costly. Do you know, Jesus never promised that if you follow him, your life would become easier. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. If to be a follower of Jesus is costly. To be a disciple is more than just saying, do you know what, I've got a nice little life going on, but I feel like I'm missing something on a spiritual level, maybe Jesus could help me out here. It's more than that. It's more than saying, do you know what, I've just got some, I've got some deep needs and uh, I'm, I'm going like, to put my chances on Jesus that maybe he'll be able to help me. It's more than that. Being a disciple of Jesus is more than just believing in him. It's about saying, my life is now all about following Jesus. My life is now orientating around him. It's a complete different change of perspective and, and almost mission in life. And we saw this in the first two um, uh, 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 preaches we did. So the first one is, is where Jesus calls the fishermen. And he asked, he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And the disciples have to leave everything they know. They have to leave their fishing nets, their businesses, their livelihoods. And a couple of them even left their dad floating around in a boat in order to follow Jesus. Discipleship is costly. And then the week after, we looked at Matthew. Now, Matthew, he was a tax collector. He had a bit of a shady job, but it was, it was good to him. It gave him plenty of money. It gave him lots of friends and a good social life. But actually, when Jesus said, do you know what? You've got to follow me. It meant for Matthew leaving that old way of life, that old group of friends even, and saying, I'm following Jesus. And off he goes. So discipleship is costly. And it's not just always the things we do or socially that things change when we decide to become followers of Jesus. They had to um, leave deeply held beliefs and hopes behind as well. See, these, 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 uh, these guys, they were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for their promised king. The one that would come and save them. And in their head, this king would raise up an army and defeat the Romans so that the, the Jews wouldn't be under Roman oppression anymore. And Jesus comes and says, I am the Messiah, but the Romans are not the enemy that I've come to defeat. I've come to defeat a bigger enemy. I've come to defeat the powers of darkness, sin and death. That's what I've come for. And so the disciples had to give up their, a lot of aspects of their life in order to follow Jesus. And they also had to give up deeply held beliefs in order to follow Jesus. And sometimes that can be even tougher. So being a disciple is costly. It means giving up your life. It means giving the things that you used to put your trust in, putting those to the side and saying, I am now trusting wholly in Jesus. It means it reorientating your life around him. So today, I'm, the, 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 the subject I'm talking about is true power and true glory. 
And what we're going to see today is these things, power and glory, are things that actually as human beings we go for. But Jesus gives us a a whole new definition of what power should look like and what glory is. It's like he takes our understanding of power and glory and turns it on its head. And we saw, before I kind of read what we're going to look at today, the, the, the chapter from today... We have to understand where the disciples are at at the moment. They have partially understood that Jesus is the Messiah. They've begun to understand. So a few weeks ago, I looked at at, at that passage where Jesus says to the disciples, Who do you say I am? And Peter says, You're the Messiah. You're the King. You're the one that God has sent. And then last week... Rebecca talked about the transfiguration, a beautiful kind of unpacking of that story where Jesus takes Peter, James and John, James and John are really important in our story today, take them up a mountain and they get to see something of the glory of Christ as as the radiance of God kind of literally comes out of him, physically comes out of him, this glorious kind of image of the glory of God. And then they hear this audible voice from heaven saying, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. So they've got some kind of glimpse into the glory, kind of majesty of who Jesus is. But the disciples never completely understand what it means that Jesus is the Messiah until he dies and then rises again. So they've identified Jesus as the Messiah. They've seen his glory, but they don't quite understand what he's come to do. So today, the bit we're about to read is the third time Jesus tells his disciples that they're going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested, he's going to get beaten up, he's going to get killed, and then three days later he's going to rise again. The first time Jesus told them that, Peter said, no way is that happening, I'm not going to let it happen. And Jesus says to to, um, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking about. And then in the next chapter, chapter chapter 9, Jesus says again, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to get beaten up. I'm going to get killed. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And this time it says the disciples didn't understand what was going on, but they didn't want to ask. I'm like, I'm not surprised. (laughs) And so this is the third time Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to get beaten up. I'm going, to get put on a, I'm going to get killed, and then three days later, I'm going to rise again. As I read this, <clears throat> what you can hear with the disciples and the followers is a sense of fear. Because physically, and I didn't check out exactly where, they're getting closer to Jerusalem. Jesus has been talking about this stuff that's going to happen. And you can hear, start hearing the anxiety, the worry within the followers and the disciples. So try and listen out and see if you can hear that. It says this, Mark chapter 10. Verse 32, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. So in other words, up until now, it's been a kind of meandering walk towards Jerusalem, but now Jesus is leading the way, he's in a bit of a hurry. And the disciples were astonished, while those that followed were afraid. What's going to happen? 
Again, he took the twelve aside and said to them what was going to happen. We're going to Jerusalem, he said. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So the disciples are now aware that something significant is going to take place in Jerusalem. But they can't quite work out what. But the end result should be that Jesus will be recognised as the King, the Messiah. They don't quite understand the rest of it. Let's carry on the story. It says this. Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do something for us. What do you want me to do? Jesus asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other on your left in glory. You do not know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. And Jesus said, you will drink the cup. And be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared for. So James and John are both part of Jesus' kind of inner core friendship group. They were both there when Peter said, you're the Messiah, you're the King. And so they've heard that. They were there on the mountain of transfiguration where they saw the glory of God, the otherness of Jesus, uh, kind of in, in that kind of moment. And so they've seen partially what's going on. They know something significant is about to take place because they're getting very close to Jerusalem and Jesus said a whole load of stuff is going to happen. So as they're walking towards Jerusalem, they kind of sneak up to Jesus. They, they take Jesus to the side and say to him, they don't want the disciples to hear this conversation. And they say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Jesus wisely says, well, tell me what it is you want. And they reply, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other on your left. That's a cheeky request. I think what's happened here is it's a bit like, I suppose, with, I suppose it's Boris Johnson. Someone coming up to Boris Johnson and saying, Boris, looks like you are going to be the Prime Minister in a, in a couple of days' time. And me and my friend, we really like you. And, uh, okay, no, it's an analogy, all right? It's, it's, uh, it's going to split the room. It's... Uh, we really like you. And I was wondering, could I be your chancellor and can my brother here be your deputy? It's a bit like something of glory is going to come. Something of power is about to be given to you and we want to be there. We want to be part of what's going on. We want to be at the table. When everyone's saying, oh wow, here's the power, here's the seat of glory, we want to be sitting right next to you in the limelight. That's what we would like. And this is that request it's a, it's a request for greater power. It's a request for greater glory. And Jesus says to them, very graciously, I think, you guys don't get it. 
You think this is going to be a cakewalk. You think this is going to be a little pageant where I go into Jerusalem and the enemies bow down and say, oh yes, we've recognized how great you are and I'm just going to go to glory and and it's all going to be fine. Jesus says, you don't know what kind of load I am about to bear. You don't know the bitter taste of the cup I have to drink. I've got to go through the darkest night of sorrow. And I've got to face the cross after that. The most devastating moment in the history of time is about to take place. And it's all going to be focused down on me as I hang on a cross. And you're like, yeah, we can join you with that. (laughs) James and John were were quick to, to claim the benefits of the kingdom of God without even giving a moment's thought about how tough it is to participate in it. And we can look at James and John and say, look at them, the power hungry, that's awful. We can tut tut at them. But let me ask you a question. How often do we ignore the cost of following Jesus? How often do we start our conversations with God saying, thank you, I'm in your presence. I now want you to do whatever I ask. How often do we start our times of prayer like this? I've got a request for you, Jesus. Can you do something for me? How often do you find yourself demanding the benefits of the kingdom of God while completely ignoring the cross or the cost? I'm not saying we don't ask things from God. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened. But we do that within the context of discipleship. And discipleship is orientating our lives around Christ. It's about saying, he's first in my life. It's not about treating him as a genie. Do you know what I fancy? I fancy a bit more power. I fancy a bit more money. Jesus, will you do that for me? That's not what it's about. it's about. It's about being a follower of Jesus and following him. And therefore, it's like we know what we need to be praying for. Lord God, as I spend myself for the poor, I need you to resource me in whatever way to be able to do that. Lord, I've got a, I've got a neighbour who just has no, no money, no food, and I've not got much. Will you provide for me what I need to be able to, to, to meet the need there? Lord, I, I've been working hard for you and I'm tired. I just I need some kind of Sabbath. I need some kind of rest. Can you help me with it? Lord, I'm trying to raise my family in a godly way, but it's tough. Will you give me the strength and the wisdom and the ability to do it? That's the kind of prayer. I loved what, um, what John was saying, you know, about I want a heart that's attached to you. Yeah? In, in um, John chapter 15, it says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That is not, that's not a genie in the bottle kind of wish. It's a, I, I'm, my heart is attached to Christ's heart and I know what I should be praying in this moment kind of prayer. Is that the kind of prayer that we're praying? I'm going to carry on. So James and John, they were looking to almost, they want to get to the glory, they want to get to the power and they want to do it by bypassing the cost 
Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it carries on. Sorry, can you click us through to 41? It says this, when the the ten heard this, they became indignant, really angry with James and John. Jesus called them together, the disciples, and said, you know, and this is really important, this, this is This is deep. If we can get this, what Jesus says now, it will affect every aspect of your life, I promise you. So just listen to this. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Here's a command. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must become your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's powerful stuff. And we've got a powerful example in Jesus. Listen to this quote. At no place do the ethics of the kingdom of God clash more vigorously with the ethics of the world than in the matters of power and service. In a decisive reversal of values, Jesus speaks of of greatness in service rather than greatness of power, prestige or authority. Whoever wants to become the greatest among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. Our world is power hungry. It craves power. It lusts after power. It steals, kills and destroys for power. And the world sets itself up in this kind of hierarchical fashion where it's like, if you're at the top, you have the power, that's the place you want to be. The same guy that wrote that quote, I didn't write this down, he said, how easily worship and discipleship are blended with self-interest or wealth, or worse, self-interest is marked by worship and discipleship. In other words, what he's saying is sometimes, uh, you know, we can take this hierarchical structure that the world goes for and we can say, oh, that, that looks good, that looks effective, that looks nice, let's put it into the church. And we suddenly have this hierarchical thing going on in the church. And I believe Jesus would look at that and say, that is nothing like what I call my church to be. That's nothing like it should look like. The greatest should become the least. Sadly, throughout church history, the church has done that, hasn't it? It's taken this kind of hierarchical system. And I'm not talking about... Catholics and Church of England, I'm talking about us as humans, we kind of tend to put ourselves in this hierarchical fashion, which says, you get to the top of that tree and then you'll be, you'll be in the right place. But as disciples, we're called to humble ourselves, come low, and, and we serve. We look to serve one another. It's a whole different ethic, and so it's a big challenge. We're called to serve. We're called to give our lives to serve others. Jesus didn't call us to a worldly idea of greatness. Our glory is found in serving others. I want to to read this story. I know this is heavy, but I, I, I I feel the burden of it. I hope you're feeling something of the burden of it. Okay? 
I want to show you how fundamental um, the servant nature is to Jesus. How it doesn't, Christianity doesn't work without this serving way of looking at things. Listen to this. Matthew 25. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit up on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered in his presence. And he will separate the people as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. So there's this picture of heaven and Jesus saying, right, you go over there, you go over there, you go over there. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will will say, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you some clothes? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. And this is the scary bit. Then the king will turn to those who are on his left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothes. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were, were, you were refusing to help me. And then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Do you see how important this is to Jesus? This is a matter of eternal life and death. When you serve, you do not know the significance of what you're doing. And maybe you never will until the day you see him face to face. Please don't hear me saying, so can you join the refreshments team? (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, as a church, you know, we want to make sure we're serving in this little box here. We're serving one another really well, different to the world out there. Jesus didn't tell the disciples to go and into all the churches and make disciples. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. We're called to serve our, our neighbour. Who is your neighbour? Well, it's the, the Good Samaritan story, isn't it? It's, the, it's not the person that you're best friends with. It's not the person that you're most aligned to spiritually or whatever. It's, it's, the, it's whoever God puts in front of you. That's who we're called to serve like this. So at work, wherever you do your life, at school, at uni with your neighbours, with your family, and at church. You can join the refreshments team. In all of these places, 
In all of these places, we're called to serve and and Christ is watching us as we do it. Jesus calls us to give rather than grab, to to bring blessing rather than create brokenness, to cause healing instead of harm, to clothe rather than strip He calls us to serve our way to glory. I want to ground this. We're going to sing a song in a minute, but I want to ground this to help you understand what this looks like on the ground. I heard a few stories this week, and this is here's a few of 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 an uh, here's a few I could have given you. Story of a lady in City Hope who um, lives in a block of flats, and opposite her, she saw uh, an old lady just outside her flat, she knows that it's, it's one of her neighbours, and she looked pretty beaten up, and, and she thinks it's probably domestic violence, so she gave her a note and just said, if you ever feel scared, knock on my door and you can come in. And three days later, the lady knocked on her door and said, can I come in? An 80-year-old celebrated his birthday this week, and I said to him, oh, how, how are you celebrating? And he said, I'm helping to design a system... For people in Uganda to harvest water from tin roofs so that in the rainy season they don't have to walk a mile there and a mile back for food. That's serving, isn't it? Chatting to someone else who noticed that there was someone in in their car park just parked there every day, just looked lost. They just went up and said, Look, are you okay? And they weren't okay. And they just stood with them and they spent time with them and they brought them some food and stuff like that chatting to another person who was in a real genuine rush, I've got to get to work I've got a, I've got a meeting I've got to get to and then they saw someone who was just in need of some love and some food and some help and they stopped and they just, they just did it ten, ten minutes it took and then made sure that they were with someone else who could help them and there's countless of other stories like this that I know happen and I might hear about some of them and I might not and you might have known about them and you might not. But this is the kind of attitude Christ is looking for us from the church. And our, our, our example is Christ himself who did not account equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing and became obedient to death on the cross for us. He gave everything for us. And so I know this is a tough thing to hear, but I hope it's exciting as well. I hope it's like, oh man, how can I serve Jesus today? How can I worship him with my decisions I make, with the money I have? We've done it through the special offering. That's amazing. And we're doing it, but we want to continue doing it and we want to grow in it. Amen?